Welcome to the Legal Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Davis. Today, I am honored to have the Erica Monet Lewis on the mic with me today. Erica is a Detroit native with over 10 years of human resources and organizational development experience. She is the founder and CEO of the Erica Monet Group, LLC, a leadership coaching and HR consulting practice. Erica is also the creator of Networking on Purpose, a networking event that is uniquely designed for progressive and emerging professionals to enhance their network on purpose, but for a purpose. The purpose is centered on donating proceeds from this event to the nonprofit organization of choice. Erica received her bachelor's degree in accounting from Central Michigan University and master's degree in human resources and organizational development from Eastern Michigan University, Go Eagles, partially biased there. She also has her PHR and SHRM certifications. Erica is a member of the Society of Human Resources Management, National Association of African Americans and Human Resources, and Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. Erica is a people builder. She believes that everyone has value to bring to the table, and she builds off people's strengths to fuel them so that they can be the best version of themselves and allow others to see their light shine. Erica, welcome to the show. What up, though? Detroit's in the house. Detroit. <laughs> hey, it's been a while. And that was good to, to get you on the podcast. I know we kind of talked about this for a while. I know. Um, but I'm excited to have you here and, and speak on a topic that's that's pretty near and dear to me, which is develop uh, personal development, professional development, and networking. I yes, yes. That. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. I was. Um, I know we chat pretty regularly, but... Um, I know recently we were just talking like, when did we really connect? And officially, um, what we can remember is that we met back in about 2008 or 2009. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were both participating in a career fair. Um, Yeah. I remember the the school, but we were both there talking to students and just kind of connected and went from there. But I'm sure we met before that. We met before that. I know that piece, but I think it wasn't really like, oh, this is what you do. Like it was one of those, like, okay. And yeah, that had to, had to have been 08, I want to say. Had to have been 08 because I had my daughter in 09. So I think it was 08. So it's, it's been a while and it's just been interesting watching your career trajectory just kind of take off. And, and we fast forward down the line and there are some things that we're doing that are, that are very similar. And I'm like, let's, let's chat, let's talk. And here we are today with you here on the podcast. Yes, I'm a huge fan of uh, this podcast and what you're doing. So you're a special guest, and I say that because a couple weeks ago, uh, I had my first Sigma on the show, member Phi Beta Sigma, the greatest mm-hmm. fraternity on earth. Um, I had Keith Aaron, Incorporated. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> I had Keith Aaron, <laughs> uh, who is one of the co-founders of FUBU. So he was on talking and sharing his story, sharing his experiences as a man of, as a man of Sigma. And, but you are the first woman of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. Am I? Yes. Oh, I feel special because you know a lot of us. I do. I do. <laughs> and I couldn't think of a better person to have on, uh, you know, couldn't think of a better Zeta to have on first than you. Uh, and this year is special. This year you all are celebrating. Yes, it is very special, you know, outside of COVID, you know, just taking over. But yeah, right. Centennial is... I have to you see the excitement, you know what I mean? Like, I, I you can feel it. <laughs> I'm excited about our centennial, but it's like, man, Corona just snatched that. <laughs> I'll say, so for those that are listening, uh, Zeta Phi Beta, cel- uh, starting in January, celebrated 100 years of finer womanhood. And so I had the honor of being in D.C. Uh, for our, our Phi Beta Sigma board meeting, and we got to hang out with you all. So it was a great 
event. And I think that the weekend that you all had in, in January, I would say was probably better than many other organizations, their national uh, really? It was great and, and, you know, hugely unfortunate that COVID came in and said, y'all got to holler at that later, but it's yeah. not, it's not raining on your, you know, your parade at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, and it's crazy because it took a while for them to actually announce that we were going to not have to, the uh, boule this year and yeah. centennial uh, celebration. So it took a while because we were trying to hold on like, no, let's wait to see what they say. <laughs> what does the CDC say? And so it's not going to work out for us, um, you know, in person rather, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? But there are hopes coming up in the next few months to still do some things virtually, which for some, you know, is exciting to just do something. And for others, it's like, no, it's our centennial. We mm -hmm. should really live this up, you know? Now, when, did, when and where did you become a member of Zeta? So I became a member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated at Central Michigan University, um, Sigma Kappa Chapter. Shout out to the, the ladies there um, in March of 2004. Okay. So what, do you, what do you love most about, about being a Zeta? What is there not to love, Kevin? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, honestly, I think what I love most about Zeta is that um, honestly what attracted me to Zeta over any other sorority is that the group of women that were in Zeta all seemed to, to have been different. So there was a very diverse group of women um, and you didn't necessarily have to be a certain way in order to be a Zeta. So that level of just authenticity, just being real and who you are, no matter how different you are, and you can still be a part of something so dynamic and phenomenal, um, really sparked an interest with me because the impression that I got from all the other sororities was that you had to be a certain way, look a certain way, talk a certain way, have certain things in your life, know certain people in order to to be a part of the organization and, and Zeta, Zeta was not like that. So I love the fact that we are extremely diverse. And you're the only sorority that has a brother organization. So that's our bond there. You There's know. that piece, you know. Um, so I am excited about some of the things that I see uh, Zeta have, has coming up. I know that you mentioned some virtual events. I just saw a flyer uh, yesterday. Um, you all are doing a club quarantine with, with uh, DJ D Nice, and he's kind of taken over social media. He has, taking social hasn't media he? by storm with his um, sets that are going for three, four hours or however mm -hmm. long. So, great move on behalf of the sorority. Team. I thought the same That's thing. Hard. I said, This is a good move. <laughs> so, I wanted to bring you on the show um, today, um, just kind of talk about your career and then also share some. Uh, some tips and tools that I feel uh, people benefit as far as professional development um, and networking as well. But <clears throat> what I'll say is, is um, your career has taken a few turns, you know, since I've known you and it's, it's been a cool trajectory. Um, you started out as analyst for Borders Books, went on to be an accountant at Barton Malo and shifted into staffing at Robert Half. And since then you've held a various number of uh, HR roles for Crescent Hotels, PepsiCo, and also, uh, Wayne State University. What prompted that transition to go from the more financial side into more of the people side? Well, the financial piece comes from my just love for numbers. I'm really good at math. Um, and I always thought like, okay, how can I 
you know, utilize this and make some money. So I um, thought about different careers and using math. And someone told me, oh, you should be um, an accountant. You should get into accounting when I was in high school. So looked it up and was like, huh, I can probably do this. Seems like something I can do real good. So major in accounting. I got my degree in accounting. And when I got that call for my first job saying, hey, Erica, this is the job. This is how much we're offering you. Of course, I was excited just like anybody would with their first you know, job offer. But I was more so excited because I discovered that this is not what I want to do. What I want to do is what this other person is doing on the other end of the call, which is making the call to people, telling them, hey, you got a job. Here's the offer. Here's the, here's the details. I wanted to be that person to make a, a positive impact on people's livelihood at work. So when I discovered that, um, I was like, okay, crap. Now, how do I get an HR? I have an accounting degree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do I make this work? So I spent about I want to say about three years in in accounting before making that transition. And um, luckily, I was able to make a transition into staffing um, because of my accounting background. So working for Robert Half, placing accounting and finance professionals, I was utilizing that skill set that I already knew of that I can connect and relate to for all the candidates that I was trying to you know, place. So I utilized that skill set, but then also honing in on um, my recruiting skills, my networking skills, my business development skills, all of those things were really um, birthed or started in that role at Robert Half. And even during that time, um, I was earning my master's degree. Um, And so doing that plus my master's degree put me in a position to then kind of go into a full-blown HR role. And then once I finally got into HR, um, because I did that role at Robert Half for probably almost three years too. Um, So once I got into HR, it was like one opportunity after another. another. And um, it was a matter of networking and knowing people and then realizing your potential or your talent. Um, And just being able to navigate in different spaces to make the appropriate moves for my career. Uh, my focus was always to have my own or start my own, but I knew I needed the experience to do it. So the goal was never a title. The goal was never, hey, let me focus in on this company. It was really, I need to get really critical experiences in order to do what it is I want to do, which is have my own company and do, at that time, HR consulting. That's specifically what I wanted to do. I just wanted to do my own HR consulting thing. So navigated throughout my career, and next thing I know, um, I was the HR person that leaders began to like. And there's this stigma with HR where, oh, HR is the principal's office mm-hmm. or HR and leadership doesn't, they don't really get along. And um, that stigma really hurts the relationship that HR is supposed to have in an organization. Um, so I'm hoping that we're getting away from that in in various organizations and their culture. But um, I just so happened to be the HR person where, hey, Erica, I have a new leader. They need to know X, Y, and Z. They need help with X, Y, and Z. So, okay, I'm transitioning transitioning them into now being this representative of the organization. So I'm educating them on all things HR that they are responsible for as a leader. And then it 
then it just turned into a coaching session almost. Like after developing that relationship, developing that rapport, I started to coach these individuals and I didn't even realize I was coaching them. I honestly just thought I was doing my job. So and it was one day someone said, you know what, Erica, thank you so much. This really helped me. Um, I, I had no idea that I needed this, but I, I really did. Thank you so much. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, thank you. I get that. Yeah, no problem. I'm so you're welcome. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, this isn't your job. And I really, really appreciate it. And it made me think like, well, if this isn't my job, what am I doing? Because I am really investing a lot of time and energy in doing this. But at the same time, it was very satisfying. Like, I enjoyed it. Come to find out, I was coaching. And then it was one day I was very convicted at work that uh, God wanted me to shine my light in the workplace to make it a more fair and healthier workplace. And I'm thinking, okay, how in the heck can I do this? So with my HR experience, I realized that the leader's experience has a complete influence over an employee's experience. So um, with the relationships that I used that I've gained in leadership and just having that connection, I was just able to kind of align those stars for myself to say, okay, I'm going to do leadership coaching because I feel that not the, I would say executive leadership, meaning kind of your C-suite, your VPs, they have it in their budget to to have coaching and various, you know, conferences, seminars, professional development. It's in their budget. But for that director level and below, that's the area that I focus on. And you don't find that they have that budget allocated for coaching, professional development, maybe a conference, um, but nothing ongoing to ensure that they're successful. So um, here I am today with my own leadership coaching at HR consulting practice. That's awesome. I want to jump back for one second. Um, You mentioned how you made that transition from the finance side to the HR side. And some of that was because you're, you're recruiting these different people. And oftentimes we hear about people that are looking to shift into different roles that are not complementary to what they do. Um, what else did you do? Did you talk to some people within the organization to let them know that you're interested in shifting or how, like, what other steps did you take to let people know or to, to prep yourself to be ready to, to shift gears? From Barton Mello to Robert Half? To get that type of role, to go from yeah. uh, one role at this organization to a completely different one at another. So I started to explore entry-level HR positions. So just looking at HR admin roles, HR coordinator roles, whether it was in within the company I was at at the time or just outside of the company, just to see, because I knew that I at least had enough experience and knowledge of just having an accounting degree to operate in those roles. And I felt like, okay, I'm still young enough in my career where I'm able to get that type of role. Um, I did have to make the decision on whether or not I needed to take a step back and pay. So it was, all right, if I do this, I may have to step back a bit from, for, from my finances and just look at that and say, all right, if this is important to me and this is where I know that I am going to go with my career, um, I have to make that commitment. So I had to get that understanding in my head that if I wanted this and looking at the roles and the experience that I had, 
that was a step that I was, you know, going to have to make. Um, and then um, I want to say when I was on, it could have been some sort of job board, career builder, indeed, or something along those lines. Um, I ended up just um, looking for recruiting positions. So when I was looking at recruiting positions, somehow this Robert Half position came up because the Robert Half position encompasses a lot more than just recruiting. And, um, but somehow it came up. And when it said that it was looking for someone with an accounting and finance background, I was like, oh, that's me. And this is recruiting. This will give me some HR experience. So it was really a lot of research and digging to find out or to get to that Robert Half opportunity to see that posting um, because I was literally just in the HR space instead of looking at HR because HR is very broad. So when I was looking at a very niched area that allowed me to say, oh, I can do recruiting or I could at least apply what I know now or what um, I've experienced so far to transfer into this role. So when you're saying what steps did I take at that time, I didn't have a big network to even talk to anybody to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Do you know anybody um, or anything like that? So it was really looking at um, where I was at with my finances because more than likely I was going to have to take a step back um, to take a very, very entry-level role to get into the field or a role that I wanted. Um, and then the second thing was really doing research on what companies are looking for. And that was simply just looking at all the jobs that were posted and seeing what the qualifications are and what's that pattern, what's the trend, and what people are looking for. And then um, being able to take a stretch to say, okay, if this is HR as a whole from a generalist perspective, let's just take you know, recruiting and seeing what that looks like. Um, and then that's how I ended up stumbling upon the role at Robert Half. Something you said um, I feel needs to be echoed or amplified, and that was you knew what you wanted to do and you knew that you needed to start over um, at, a, at, a, at a lower position in order to get the footing in. And, you know, I see these conversations happen in different groups where people are like, I want to switch careers or switch industries. And um, it's not always possible to go to, to, to make a lateral move. And, and when he said that, it made me remember that that's, that was my journey. Um, I had to start over as a graphic designer and mm -hmm. start over. It was humbling start as a graphic designer and move my way up. And sometimes it's just a matter of getting into that initial door, proving your work, and then you start to make those, you know, those huge leaps. Um, yeah. But it's something worth considering is, is knowing that there may be that, you know, that back step that may be a temporary setback or a temporary right. change to your finance. And that's how I looked at it. It was very, very yeah. temporary. Yeah. And so now you've been in the game for 10 years. Uh, what is your brand? What do you, what would you say that you're known for at this point? Um, good question. So I think now, now that I have my business, um, I would say my brand is really, when people see the Erica Monet group, they know they are going to be in for either A, a great connection, meaning Erica's connected me to someone um, that I needed to connect to, or Erica and I have connected in a way, or B, they know that Erica's about really standing in your truth. So really being authentic, being um, or living in your authenticity is important to me. Um, I think that if you don't, we, especially in this time, I feel like Corona has exposed us all 
<laughs> of who you are, what you've been doing, what you have not been doing. And it's important to know these things about yourself because um, you have to own that. And when you own that, nobody can really tell you who you are and what you've done because you've already have owned it. So no one can tell your story. No one can say what your narrative is. And um, that's power. So I, I want people to get that at least from my, my brand. But what I've gotten in terms of feedback is that, you know, at least I know if I can come to you. I know that, you know, I got to stand in my truth. So I'm like, yes, you do. I want you to be real when you talk to me. I want you to be honest with yourself more than trying to focus on, hey, let me be honest with Erica. If you're honest with yourself, that's where it starts. So everything is, it starts with yourself. And looking back over your career, not you, you've been in for a decade um, at this point, what would you do over, if anything? What would I do over? Hmm. That's a good question because I feel that all the transitions I've had in my career were extremely strategic and intentional. Um, I would say, honestly, I would probably go to grad school earlier. Like, like soon as I got my undergrad degree and I realized I wanted to be in HR, I should have made that transition to going to grad school then. I would say that. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your event that you have, uh, your monthly event, which you just had last night. Mm -hmm. um, and next month, I promise I'm going to make it because I have our book club meeting that same night for the past couple months. Um, <laughs> is, your, is your networking on purpose event can you tell us about that? And then also, um, I know it was an in-person event and how the pandemic and, and working from home and quarantine, how that's all yeah. impacted your event. Yeah, it's definitely changed it. So networking on purpose. So where it came from, it, it really was birthed out of um, my, my coaching. So when I coach individuals, I have a, a what I would call a four-step system that I use to ensure that we are on track with things. And it, I use, and I love acronyms. So the acronym is, or the word is SHIP. And so what it stands for is S is for self-awareness and discipline. H is for honoring your values. I is for identify your tribe. And P is for protecting your peace. So keeping people in line with that within their career um, is extremely important because we tend to fall apart and then give all of our power control and say so to our employer and come to find out they don't have responsibility or control over the things in our lives. It's us. So I use that. So I have over the years in my transitions within my career found a lot of success through networking. Um, the job that um, I would say I got my job at Pepsi through networking. Um, and it was literally standing next to the guy and he's like, yeah, I'm looking for, you know, an HR person to do X, Y, and Z. And I was just standing next to him. I didn't even raise my hand saying I'm looking for a job. That's how that unfolded. So um, I would always encourage my clients to network. And the feedback that I would get would be horrible. They would say, oh, yeah, Eric, I don't do that. It's small talk. It's a waste of time. Like I go, I meet all these people that want to talk to their friends. And I don't know them. Like, 
why? So then I was coaching my clients on um, creating a networking strategy. Like, why is it important to build your tribe, right? And um, they're like, you know, I just, some of it's confidence. Some of it is, you know, I just don't know what to talk about or what we have in common to even start a conversation, especially if I am, if I'm an associate at the organization and now I'm seeing the senior VP, but how am I going to connect with them? So I wanted to create an event that provided a safe place for people to be able to show up as who they are and not their titles. So one thing I learned in coaching uh, when I was in HR and I was coaching was that when I came to work, I was interested in the individual and who they were and when they what what they were bringing to work that day, not their title. I could care less how long you've been with the company. I could care less what title you have. And I want people to feel that they could talk to and connect with, with anybody at this event, because we are all human beings. We are all working. We all have very similar struggles. And yet we have the time and opportunity at this event to discuss it. So I wanted to create a space for that so that my clients can say, okay, I feel safe, you know, kind of being who I am at this event. And then, um, so that's kind of the first objective of networking on purpose, which is the intentional networking piece. Second piece is, um, or the second objective is to honor a nonprofit. And so with that, when it was in person, people would register and, you know, pay for a ticket and I would donate a portion of those proceeds to uh, the nonprofit that I honored that month. And it was great because when it was in person, networking on purpose was like a whole vibe. You know, because I wanted to create a different experience because I'm not bringing a bunch of sales professionals together or a bunch of IT or HR people together. I'm bringing professionals in different professions, different industries, um, and they have a topic to be discussed. So every month I have a different topic for networking on purpose, and I have a panel to kind of provide some insight on this topic. And um, every month the panel's different, topics, uh, topic is different, and the nonprofit is different. So it, it's, you know, engaging from that perspective too, because oftentimes people are attracted because of the panel, or they really want to support this nonprofit, or they're very curious about what is networking on purpose? Like, it sounds catchy, but like, what is it? Like, what's the intentionality behind this? So I love it. I've gotten people from across the country. Um, I went international, I had somebody in Canada that, okay. that joined in, you know, next step is Australia. I'm just claiming it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Australia, Africa, India, like all of that. I'm, I'm claiming it. So networking on purpose has thrived, um, honestly, since uh, May, because I had to cancel my March and April in-person events. So um, I got it back started online. Um, I use Zoom platform to do it. And uh, so people can register on Eventbrite. And now it's different because the event is free to attend, uh, but they can still make a donation. I encourage the donation and I just take the whole donation and donate it to the nonprofit. So it's been good. What have you learned? Um, I mean, you, you have tons of experience in HR, relationship building, networking, but sometimes we learn from our events and just being around people and letting them teach us a few things. Have you learned anything new? Uh, since you've been been, uh, I'll say since the 
since you've had to shift formats uh, from in-person to online, anything about people or networking, have you learned anything new? Um, good question. I think the one thing I would I, I say I would take away is that the shift between in-person and online is that you really it's one thing when you have it in person and people are saying like, oh yeah, I'm gonna come. Oh yeah, I'm gonna support. And they'll buy their ticket the day of, right? And so mind you, you're trying to plan because it's in person you're buying food and you're providing these things. So you need to know these numbers ahead of time so you can plan. When it's online and people say, oh yeah, I'm gonna support. Now what I'm finding is that people don't show up. <laughs> like I'm like, oh, so either where before it was like, oh, I'm going to support. I love this nonprofit. And, you know, maybe they'll just want to make a donation and they don't show up. That's fine, too. Um, but online, it's like you really have no idea. So I learned that. And that's just probably more on the business side of just handling it. Um, you really don't. I can't really gauge. It's well, plus, really hard. <laughs> you're, you're battling a few things. You're battling. Um, Zoom meetings, you know, people have, you know, suffering from okay. Zoom overloaded meetings. Mm -hmm. And then it's easy to get off work because it's in the evening. So yep. they get off work and they're like, ah, it's, I don't have to. I'm done. Right? I don't have to be on. <laughs> and so there's that piece, you know, when you have to go somewhere that's, there's more of a commitment and the virtual format, it can be challenging. And I've, I've experienced that as well. I've had a few different events, um, uh, virtual events and uh, the turnout could have been better, but what I found was I was able to pull people that I would not have reached otherwise mm -hmm. uh, in different states, different parts of the country, or because of their schedules, they were never able to attend anything else. But now because it's virtual, they were to hop on and jump on. So it's a, you know, it does make you stop and think, you know, where should you, where should you target your, you know, where do you, where, you know, where do you spend your time advertising and marketing these events? Is, yeah. it, is it more so in your circle or more, outside so I, I definitely understand how that yeah. has caused a shift so it's kind of like a challenge but an ongoing learning because it's like i'm discovering different things um throughout so even i've had people like i had someone from new york join on and i'm and i asked him how did you find out about networking on purpose and he said oh eventbrite i just looked it up on eventbrite and it just came up for networking events i said wow okay Great, nice right? You know what I mean? So <laughs> that worked out great. So, um, so yeah, so it's, that I think is, is great from, from moving it to being a completely virtual platform. Um, you get to have that stretch and exposure throughout the country or even the world, you know what I mean? So that, that's dope. I love that. So I think there's more to come because again, I've done it since May. May turnout was phenomenal. That was the biggest turnout that I've had. Um, June shot all the way down. <laughs> and I was like, where did everybody go? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and July shot back up, which wasn't um, as high as May, but it was a lot higher than June. Then yesterday, last night, um, was very close to what I had in July. So I'm thinking that will probably be, you know, my my middle ground. Um for the remainder of, of the year. So, cause I'm planning on keeping it, you know, virtual and trying to get strategic on how I can make this work. And it makes sense in people's lives. Cause again, the zoom overload and working from home, sitting in front of a computer for hours does a lot. And that takes away from 
the uh, experience I want people to have for networking on purpose. I want them to feel a little bit relieved, like, oh, great. You know, if you got to get wine, get your wine and sit in front of the laptop. I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> And this is, um, you know, with, with networking, like I mentioned earlier, this is something that, that we both are very passionate about. And we do our, we have our little check-ins once a week. And, and during our, our check-ins, it's, there's always this element of relationship building and, and networking. Um, you know, ultimately for me, it's all about access and opportunity. And so networking provides that. And so because this is a space in which you, you, you operate, what, do you feel people get right with networking and what do they get wrong with it? Mm, I think what people, I would say communication for both. And here's why I say for both, because when people get communication right because we all know networking we tend to think social events we tend to go to okay i can you know be a bit more lax maybe i can have a drink or two or something along those lines so the social aspect in communicating with other people i think people are open for that so i think that's why most of the time you know people will go to a networking event is either for some food or a drink so the social aspect of it um is good because that does open up the door for relationships to be built. However, what we, what I feel people get wrong that I coach my, my clients on is that the goal of communication is connection. So you can communicate all day, but if there is no connection, you're not going to go anywhere. So that piece, people will go to a networking event with no intentionality no strategy in place just to go in hopes that maybe they'll get a card in hopes that maybe they can meet a new professional BFF. Um, But that's no strategy, nor does that help your career. You want networking to work for you and you want it to develop you and take your career to the next level. Um, Because if not, then why are you there? So you have to be intentional with your purpose on why you're there, but then also be very open to connecting with people and connecting with people also open you up to um, really ask other people. So how can I help you? This is my background. How can that work? And we miss that opportunity because we are trying to get something from some people when in fact it's really reversed. We need to be giving ourselves in a way where people are like, Oh, okay, well, since you're willing to help me, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. It kind of puts them in a position to be like, well, since you asked, that was nice. Um, didn't think that was coming. How can I help you? Like it, it just shifts the entire game. Yeah. So think of the concept of giving, think of the concept of truly connecting with people. And that's what I feel like we're missing with networking. Like people aren't getting that. I think um, also I agree with everything you just said. And what I will add to that is, and you know, perhaps there needs to be a bit more education and, and you know, just exposure on this piece, but in thinking about my own um, networking journey, you know, way back in the day and, um, what I realized now that I'm older and I can you know, look back at what worked and what didn't work was that I didn't know what I was doing. And what I mean is I didn't know why I was going to network. Um, I didn't know what my value proposition was or otherwise, you know, uh, why should people want to connect with me? 
Right. I didn't know what I wanted from other people. I did not know how to articulate that I was open to something, you know, whether it's <laughs> a relationship, whether it's a new job, um, or I'm vendor, looking for a mentor, <laughs> something like that. Like you just go and, you know, we, we, we replicate what we see. So you see people just go to an event to your point, they grab some food, they walk around. Some people are, you know, they brag, they collect some business cards <laughs> and it's like, but okay, now when you follow up with that person, Will they remember you? What is they, that? <laughs> what is the purpose of the engagement? And so, you know, maybe maybe we can look at at you know focusing on that that pre work a little yeah. bit more of what what do you need? And in that moment, it's in that moment when you're networking with somebody, you hand them your card, you're talking about it, and then they go home and they look you up. What are they looking up? You know, did you take the time to update your LinkedIn, your website? Yeah. All those different things so people can say, okay, I looked up this Erica. She's, she says she's a coach and I may be interested in her business or hiring her or referring her. Yeah. And what you said in person doesn't align with what your presence is online. And there's that, that there's the element of not doing That's that the gap. Pre-work. Yeah. Yeah. No, that pre-work, you're totally right. That's a part of the uh, the strategy that I coach my clients in when they're trying to build their tribe. Um, because if you don't do that work, you're gonna be lost. Like you lost in the sauce. <laughs> like it's just networking is not gonna work for you. You're not going to enjoy it. Um, and you're just you're not gonna see the fruits of it at all which sucks because this is the this is the opportunity I feel that you don't really have to interview for. You know what I mean? Like you get to connect with people and not have to, the pressure of um, the interview process because you can land a job by, you know, going to a networking event. And this is simply by communication and the interviewing that it that does take place traditionally in networking spaces is just really who are you mm-hmm. so again you got to know who you are why you're there what's your purpose um of you know of what you're doing but that should be easy questions to answer should be for some people it's not or they're easy questions to answer and you don't really feel confident in articulating it or you don't know how to articulate it to your point yeah so um so that pre-work that's necessary because if you don't do that you're going to crash and burn. Something else you said earlier um, that I want to echo was just being a resource for other people. Um, I think that's the bucket that that I fall in. I, I love meeting people. And for me, it's, I think once you, you get to a certain point where it's not so much about what can someone do for me, but it's how can I add value to your network and how right. can you add value to mine? And so for me, I, I look at it as let me go out and network and mix and mingle, meet these people so I can bring these resources back to my, my tribe. Right, um, right. Otherwise having my, you know, having this, this dope contact list in my phone means nothing if I, if my community and my tribe can't benefit from it. And so I think that's, you know, you have people that are looking at it for themselves, which can work, but you have to know how to articulate it. And some people appreciate that. Hey, how can I help you? But you have to figure out those different those different gears or those different modes where people operate, but that being a resource piece is, is huge. And, um, nothing's better than two people that love resources get together and they're just like, Oh, Hey, I know. Oh, let me do this. Yeah. That's exactly how it happens. (laughs) And then you're thinking about networking in your circle with your friends. And it's, you know, not in the, in the traditional 
formal way, but telling, say, Erica, I'm actually looking, if you know somebody, I'm looking to shift into this role or I'm looking for a vendor that can help me with this thing or I love a mentor. So now you, because you are the networker and the resourcer, the, the, the gatherer, when you're yeah. out networking, you say, oh, so you're in, you're in aerospace engineering. I actually have somebody that would love to connect you with. And so now you're at that link between that exactly. person that doesn't have the, um, the forwardness or the, um, you know, just the resource or just being in that space, you're capitalizing for your, your network as well. Your network. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's the second half of that piece where people don't get to see the beauty of networking, the fruit of it, you know, because we miss that opportunity to connect or we miss the opportunity to give ourselves like, Hey, I have expertise in this. This is what I'm doing or I'm trying to grow in this area. I'm interested in this. Do you know anything about it? You know, somebody like we're not having that conversation. So even with networking on purpose, what I loved in person was that I had this topic that like, for example, last night we talked about uh, money, money management, financial literacy. Um, you know, the topic was the time is now to level up your money. Everybody needs a budget. Everybody needs to save. like, these are things that is this common amongst everybody. There is no, Oh, the senior VP. And then this, you know, entry level, like, no, we all need to look at our money. So taking that common topic puts you in a position where we're on the same level. Don't even matter. But then after talking to this individual, because I have like a breakout session and you have to discuss certain things with a topic, um, it allows you to get a different perspective or a different piece of this person that you would never see in a professional setting talking about this topic. And then when you introduce yourself, you're saying, hey, my name is such and such. I do X, Y, and Z. I've been in this industry or this company. Like you naturally do that anyway. So then when you're talking about this topic, now people are seeing more of you. So that gives people that, huh, I like this. Hmm. I, I think I want to connect with you because I like the way you thought about that. Or, you know what? I need that at my company. You know, that, it's providing a space for that. And we're just, you know, we'll get there. I'm hoping I can, you know, get people to get there, you know, and I coach people all the time on it. I have no idea how I fell in this networking space. I don't know how I became this connector, this networker. I have no idea. It just happened. Well, I mean, it seems organic. Um, you know, obviously we're connected on LinkedIn and, and through Instagram and I'm seeing the networking on purpose. I'm seeing the different, I see your, uh, your branding, all over the place, like it's consistent, it's popping up. You, this is just you. This is just you <laughs> just being a natural connector. And so, what um, what I would like, if possible, uh, what are some tips that you can share with with listeners um, for successful marketing? I'm just not marketing, but networking. Networking. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say really think about why you're trying to network, and um, don't network just because people say it's good. Um, Figure out why you want to do it. Why or how is this networking event or doing it is going to add value to you? Um, Looking at that, because oftentimes you're looking to be promoted. You're looking for growth. You're looking for um, some, maybe you're trying to get a certification um, and you need to be connected with people to figure out what's the real deal on this. You know, I've read upon, you know, what's online, but you need someone to talk through, you know, 
talk it through with you. So if that is the strategy, if that's the whole point of why you want to connect with someone, um, then be intentional with, okay, what type of events? When is it? Who are these people? So that falls in line with the strategy piece. But first think about why are you networking? Like what, what is it that you're trying to get out of it? Um, I think that piece, when people figure that out, they can be more intentional with making the steps to get involved in the things that really will serve them and add value to them versus just networking for the heck of it. And what about follow-up to networking? Follow up to networking, I think we can all do better, a better job at that because it tends to, oh, yeah, I met you at the event. That was so great. And you know what I found? You know, at networking events, people have their phone out instead of collecting cards. I'll connect with you on LinkedIn right now. Boop, just sent you a connection. Like people do that at, you know, networking events. And, and I'll forget I added you and I'll forget your name. <laughs> <laughs> so then what I... So now virtually people have like dropped their LinkedIn profile in the chat and stuff like that. So now I think like instead of just connecting with people or saying like, hey, you know, I met you at networking on purpose, take it a step further. If you really want to connect with this person and just say, hey, do you have some time on the calendar, you know, next week so that we can connect further? So try to take advantage of the fact that you're at home they're at home, like we are all working remote so that, hey, you're probably going to be in a space where you're going to sit in front of your computer. You got 30 minutes for me. <laughs> hey, mm -hmm. So take it beyond that um, because it's so great meeting people at the networking event, but the follow-up is really where the work begins. Okay. So you've gone from an employee to a consultant to now being a business owner. Um, how has that shift been for you? Those are, you know, three very different experiences and, yes. um, you know, layering on a few things like pandemic, uh, you're a mother, so your kids are at home more, yes. um, you're working from home and like, I feel like you're asking me this question, but you're saying the answer like, so how has it been? Um, you you're at home, your kids are there. How do you manage it all? <laughs> that That is a lot. It's a lot. It is. It is. So like the shift, the complete shift from being an employee working in corporate America, having the nine to five to an entrepreneur, I'm still transitioning, to be honest. Like I'm still transitioning. That for me, he is the hardest transition because when you are working in corporate America, you're hired because of the talent you're bringing to the table. They, they feel that your talent is going to add value in your organization. However, they've set up the structure for you. You just have to insert yourself in it and execute. Whereas entrepreneurship, you're not walking into a structure, you're building it. At the same time you're building it, you're like, I need to market and then at the same time, you're saying, I need to market. You're like, I also need to cook dinner for my kids. <laughs> like, the, like, it's just everything swarms um, from in this entrepreneurship world. And um, so it's really uh, giving myself grace because this is literally like the ongoing struggle for me because I have, I'm, I internalize everything. So I'll have everything set up in my head. Mental note check is there, but I haven't written it down anywhere, but it's in my head and that doesn't help me. So I'm learning to write things down more, even if it's just a simple sentence such as make sure you follow up via email with such and such on Tuesday. 
And sometimes I just need to write that down, even though I made the mental note, because that's the mental note that I would make. Oh, yeah, on Tuesday, I got to follow up with them. But I need to get be more consistent with that because that will help me at least be able to see what I have on my plate so I can truly say, this is what I can do. This is what I can take on. This is going to take priority over this. So it puts me in a better position to to structure and build that structure um, so that I can begin to market and execute and, you know, work on my business and for my business, like trying to decipher between those two and making sure I have time to do that in addition to being quarantined and Lysol and everything when you grocery shop and making sure your kids use hand sanitizer and wear masks. Uh, <laughs> like it is a lot. School's about to start up soon. So that is a completely uh, different ball game. You know, I think that earlier this year when the kids came home and was, you know, doing schooling from home or uh, remote rather, it was it was challenging because nobody was prepared to do anything from home. So that shift in, it, in itself was already a challenge. Now that they've had their summer and we're going back to school, it's like they're changing up how they want to approach some things. Then you have parents that have very different opinions on whether it should be vir completely virtual, maybe a hybrid function where we're in person or virtually. And then I'm contemplating, well, what I really want from my children, because at the end of the day, this is how our kids grow by going to school, having those experiences with their teachers, learning structure and discipline in that way outside of the household. So the kids need it. They do. But then at the same time, they also need to be healthy. They need to be safe. So balancing that is is challenging. It is challenging. Um, the school district my kids are in decided to do everything virtual until October 30th, um, and then they're going to revisit it. In my opinion, you should just revisit it so that you can figure it out in January. <laughs> because, you know, after October, it's Thanksgiving, and then yeah, a few weeks later, it it's Christmas. Speeds it's by. Like it's, it goes yeah. by too quick. Yeah. So, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. So I would say um, out of all of that, the failure or struggle, I would say, would be really that transition from being a full-time employee and having that structure and just inserting myself into it and executing versus having to then build the structure, inserting myself, building some more, inserting myself, building more, inserting executing like it's a process so um that that's a struggle because you know it takes a lot to to stay on this road because there's tons of rejection tons of disappointment along the way because you want things to work out you put in this time and effort and you think that it's going to work out good and um, i know i've only have seen maybe a short stint of you know the no's or the rejections um of my um, I would say, you know, entrepreneurship kind of journey here, but I got it. And, you know, it's not, it's not fun because it's hard to bounce back. Mm -hmm. Like even mentally, like it's hard to just bounce back in the groove and just stay motivated. Whereas if you were for another company, it didn't go well. All right. Well, it didn't go well. Still getting my check. Like <laughs> it's just, it's completely different because you got to bounce back and you have to be better and know better and do better so that those mistakes, or even if it wasn't your mistake, because I had a client who I made a proposal to and they didn't want to move forward because what they really wanted is to be in person to do all the work that we were going to do together. And thanks COVID can't do it. So yeah. Along the lines of marketing for yourself uh, and your business, relationship building, 
are you taking new clients? And if so, uh, who's your ideal client and who should contact you? Uh, so yes, I am both coaching and consulting clients. I am taking on new clients. Um, my ideal client, um, HR is HR. So I don't have a, um, a really a target market for my HR piece. However, for the leadership coaching, I really wanted to be intentional with that piece. Um, so I'm focusing in on leaders in the STEM field. So specifically the tech and the engineering uh, leaders in that area. So those will be my ideal clients. That's who I'm targeting. Um, so I tell people, you know, I help technical leaders become people leaders. Um, and I see that the STEM field, we all know it's a hot field to be in, period. Uh, but oftentimes, technical, like-minded individuals, um, I'm not saying they don't have any people skills or any soft skills per se. However, it's not necessarily something that they are encouraged to have. And then when they get in leadership, it's like, well, I got to, you know, lead this team and their biggest struggle is their team, not their, what, what they're executing on. Like, that's not the issue. Um, especially engineers, like they're nerdy. They, they know their stuff. They're good. It's really the people piece that boggles them down. Cause they're like, I got to do this with my team. Like, <laughs> Oh, here we go. But when it comes to the work, they're good. So I'm helping bridge that gap between those two so that they can begin to lead in authenticity. How can folks connect with you to learn more about your, you or your business? So I have a website, which is uh, the Erica, well, it's Erica Monet Group. Dot com. Um, so E-R-I-K-A-M-O-N-A-E-G-R-O-U-P.com. Uh, so that is my website. And also I am on uh, social media. So I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and my Twitter account is uh, there. But don't count on me to be active. <laughs> like I have Twitter strictly to follow other people and keep... Keep an eye and ear out for Black Twitter. That is why I have Twitter. <laughs> yeah, like it's there, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not really on it. So, um, but yeah, so you can find me because my Twitter um, handle is it's the E R. What is it? See, I don't even know it. Ain't that a shame? It's the E M G R P. That's what it is. The E M G R P. That's what it is for Twitter. Everything else is the Erica Monet group. <laughs> so that's how people can connect with me. Um, and then also just shoot me an email at contact us at ericamonetgroup.com. Okay. So I have two questions that I did not send to you. They're probably the hardest ones. Oh, boy. What is your favorite book and why? <sighs> that is a hard one. Because I've been reading so much. <laughs> You're as bad as me. You have a book for everything. I was reading this book. No, you do. You have a book for everything. I'm like, yes, I was thinking about, I have a book on thinking. I'm like, what? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> oh, man. Um, my favorite book and why. So I'm going to say, um, Jesus, it's hard. Um... I'm going to say uh, Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. It's helped me both personally and professionally. So that's why I'm going to say that one. And um, that book showed a lot of, um, of me, <laughs> like showed me a lot of me um, in the areas in which I needed to really um, 
set boundaries in. She does a very good job in that book of, um, she clearly defines boundaries as what's okay and not okay for you. Simply put, that's what boundaries are. And when you discover uh, the things that you've allowed happen to yourself, whether in your personal life, professional life, um, and you have to connect that to what am, how do I resonate with this in a way where I'm allowing these things to happen to me. Like, why can't I communicate my boundaries? Or if I am communicating my boundaries, what's the consequence if someone crosses that line? Like figuring that piece out, um, that book really helped with that. And then really, when I tell people to stand in their truth, that's the whole concept of braving the wilderness. It's like that sense of belonging that we all yearn, uh, yearn for from our employer in, in the culture and in in our peers at work. It's like we all want that sense of belonging because we're human beings. Um, and that book really showed me that your sense of belonging really starts with you. And once you figure out that you belong no matter what, there's no stopping you. So I felt very empowered that I could take over the world when after I read this book. Brene Brown, I claim her as my sister. She doesn't know this, um, but she is a sister from another mister. You know, clearly, you know, she's she's a white woman. So there's a parent there that <laughs> definitely, <laughs> you know, I'm African-American. So, hey, we both have a different parent there. But, um, but yeah, love her research. <laughs> I love her book, love her research and what she's doing um, with that. She also has a really good book, Dare to Lead, um, which is encouraging, yeah. encouraging uh, leaders to uh, lead um, with courage and really uh, putting themselves out there in a way where vulnerability is okay. Um, so that's another good book, but I would say the you talking about me. You got a book. You just dropped two real quick. <laughs> okay. I'll make sure I put those in the show notes though. If but yeah, you, so those, those are good books. If you could have a coffee date with anyone in the world, who would it be and why? Coffee date? Yep. Uh, um, it would be with... Hmm, good question. Because so many people are popping through my head right now. But I'm like, but who would this be good with, though? Like, what can I get out of this? Um, I would say probably Michael B. Jordan. Okay. Here is why. Not because the man looks good, you know. Well, let me take that back. That's a lie. It is because he looks good. Okay, that's truth. That's just facts there. Um, but in addition to his looks, I love and respect his uh, creative side um, and would love to talk more about his intentionality within Hollywood of making it more diverse. I think um, people before Michael B. Jordan that were doing it and have been doing it for some time, we're not getting the credit or the accolades um, on terms of the work that they've done to diversify Hollywood and what we see on television and film. And I know that's important to him. So I would be really curious to have coffee with him to see how that, where his mind is at with that. And, um, and then how I could help him you know, and be a part of this vision he has to see how I can just be a part of his life. Yeah. 
Okay. So it's a lot. It's a lot, you know, in that, you know, if you want to unpack that for yourself at another time. But uh, <laughs> it would be Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Erica, this is this has been this has been a good chat. Uh, like I said, we talk all the time, but it's different getting you on the mic and talking professionally. Uh, I know, right? Tools out and tools and tips. So definitely appreciate you taking out some time. Uh, talk to the league of leaders. Uh, look forward to sharing this with our with our listeners and letting them pull all the different gems and nuggets from the conversation. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. Um, it's an honor, and I'm the first data. I mean, that's, right. that's an honor too in itself. So I really, really appreciate it. I love talking about this stuff. You know that. So this has been great. Okay. Until next time, I feel like this is a good place to leave it. I am your host, Kevin Davis, of the Leading Leaders Podcast. Please share and subscribe to the podcast. Until next time.